Well, what I have started to notice about myself is that if there is something that I am really interested in, if I'm really passionate about stuff, I really care about the details. Like, I want to know how things happen, why things work the way they do. If there's people involved in this, I'm going, how are decisions made? Why are these going the way they are? But also, there's like a ton of things that I just don't care about the details. Like, I don't care how you're making decisions or why you're doing what you're doing until it affects me. And so, like, until this week specifically, I could really care less, like, what are the procedures and the policy and what decisions are being made if your child was to swallow a magnetic marble. But when my wife sends me this picture right here and you see this big thing inside of my middle son, I'm going, I need to know what you do as a parent when there's a magnetic marble inside of your child. And so Katie calls me. She says, man, Micah was chewing on a marble, had no idea, and just swallowed that thing. And so at that point, I don't know if you know this, there's like policies and procedures of what you do at this moment. And whether your kid, is his throat's hurting or not, or if he's coughing, or can he go to the bathroom, is there blood? Here's all the things you do. And at that point, I was like, I want to know everything. And then I, we're in our hometown, a small town of about 1,800 people. Katie's there this week seeing her mom. And I was like, go to Dallas as quick as possible. Do not stay there. <laughs> and so she heads over to Dallas, gets in the hospital, sends me this picture. And at that point, I'm just going to tell you how this this particular urgent care made decisions and what they did with things like this mattered to me a whole, whole lot. And praise God, they were like, hey, we're going to send him home. Hopefully in a few days you'll be able to collect that marble. And so we're still praying for that to happen right now. And so if you want to pray for our middle son that we would get to see that marble again soon, that would be awesome um, and disgusting at the same time. But here's, here's the point. Probably some of you Love the things that go on in our government as a country, for instance. Like you want to know what's happening in the offices, what's the Senate and the House doing, how are laws and bills being made. You're keeping up with that on CNN, all the things. And some of you are like, dude, I voted for the president. I'll do it again in four years. I don't know what to do at this point. But once those things start to affect us, and all of a sudden you're paying $5 for gas, or it's, it's going to be 10% interest rates to buy a house eventually is what I'm hearing now. And inflation's happening and you're paying six bucks for milk. You begin to go, what is happening up there? Like, who's making decisions? How is this working? And where are we going? Why? Because it begins to affect you at a real level. And you know what? I would guess probably in this room, some of you guys have spent your time going, man, how is the church supposed to run? Like the governance of the church, what does the Bible say that about that? Some of you have probably spent a lot of time on that. It matters to you a lot. But I would guess probably most of you are like, I don't really care. We'll just trust that Matt's preaching on Sunday and we'll go home. Until all of a sudden there's a decision made that affects you and you don't like the way it goes. And then you're like, what's Matt and them doing up there? I want to know. Here's what the Bible says, church. That Christ shed his perfect blood for his church, not the building, right? Like we've proved that you don't have to have a building to be the church. You are sitting on broken blue chairs in the cafeteria. It's not about the building. It's about you and I. And Christ is saying, like I love you and care for you enough that I have saved you by spilling my blood, dying for you and resurrecting. And then he goes, I've called you the church. Like I've installed this idea of the people of God being a church. And then he put in his scripture how it should run. 
And some of us go, I just don't really care about that. I just want like a motivational sermon for today. Help me to know how to just love Jesus a little better tomorrow. And I'm going, man, this affects you greatly. Where you go to church and, and how the offices are ran, if it's not biblical, it, it affects you greatly. If it is biblical, it affects you greatly. And so this morning, my prayer for us as we end our series on offices and ordinances, and we look at the office of elder, an incredible office that God has put in the church, something that we're going to have in the next month and a half as a church, that you'd go, man, this is important, this affects me, and I want to know, like, I want to know, is Wellspring doing this the way the Bible says to do it? And so with that being said, look, our goal as a church, this, this is God is our authority, Christ is our authority, and this is his inspired, infallible, unchanging, perfect word that gives us the authority as the church. And we're going, we're doing what this says. We're going to follow this the best we can. And so this morning, I hope that for you, maybe you go, I have no idea what the Bible says about how the church should be run. This will be something for you that helps you to love the church deeper, to plug in deeper, to follow Christ deeper, and to trust in what he's doing. And so with that being said, we're going to look at the office of elder. And before we do, we talked about deacons last week. And so I want to kind of give you just a quick like comparison of the two, and then we'll jump into scripture. When we think about elders, we're saying this is a group of men called by God, commissioned by the church to lead, to teach, to preach, to care for, and to make decisions in our church. And so when we say elder, there's this phrase that helps me a lot. It's the idea that they serve, the elder serves by leading the church. Now we talked about deacons as well last week. And we said, hey, listen, these are people commissioned by the church, given to us by the Lord to serve. And so if elders serve by leading, deacons lead by serving. You've got elders who have the authority to tell us, hey, this is what doctrine says. This is what we're going to preach at our church. They're the ones that guard up our theology and our doctrine. They care and they shepherd. They've been given this authority. The, el- the, the deacon, however, does not have this authority to teach or to lead or to make decisions. They have they been commissioned and have authority to serve. And depending on your background, man, that may be Totally different than what you've looked at in your life. And so this morning we want to see what Scripture tells us about the elder. And so for the elders we're saying, hey, this is our pastors, our shepherds, our overseers. This is an office for men only. They're the ones that serve by leading and our deacons lead by serving. And and I I believe the Scripture gives uh, room for that to also include women in the deacon. And we'll talk about how that looks down the road. But with that being said, I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a blue one in the back. That's our gift to you. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 are going to set up for us a definition of what an elder is. Okay? What I want to do today is give you a biblical definition. I want us to see, like, where is this happening in the New Testament? I want to talk about what do they actually do? Like, how does an elder affect you as a member of this church? And then I want to talk about who can be elders, like what are the qualifications, and then we'll talk lastly about what we're about to, what we've been through in training our elder candidates up, and what we're about to do with the future of our church, which I'm very excited about. So with that being said, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort you, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 5, yeah, 1 
1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that, it, that is going to be revealed. Listen, shepherd the flock of God that, it, that is among you. So we see there's shepherds. And he goes on, he says, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not as you want to do, but as God would have you exercise oversight. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples, examples of leadership in Christ and kindness to the church. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now there's some important things that we can draw our definition from in this scripture. The first is this, throughout the New Testament, the word elder is interchangeable with a few words. You may see the word overseer, you may see the word shepherd, you may see the word pastor. If, you, if you're still rocking the King James Version, you'll see the word bishop. And so these are some words that we can go, man, that's interchangeable, meaning elder, pastor, shepherd. They're all the same things. And so in First Peter, he's saying, hey, listen, our elders are going to be those that shepherd and care for the local church. They're going to teach and they're going to lead and they're going to protect. They're going to be the spiritual authority. But they're not just up on the mountain going, hey, we're going to decide to do whatever we want and make all the decisions. No, we submit to the chief shepherd, Jesus. He's the perfect authority. He's the one that won't ever get it wrong. And so as we lead the church as elders, we're going, hey, we, we are going to follow our chief shepherd, Jesus. He is the one we follow. Our elders are under shepherds, less than, but still called to lead the church and to protect the church. And so with that being said, I want to look at elders in the New Testament. We should have this on the screen. 1 Titus 1, 5. Here's what it says. You got Paul planting churches, right? Wellspring is a church plant, year and a half old. And here's what we've got. We've got a lot of people coming. We've got some staff. We've got students going to camp. We've got kids ministry happening. You've got a preacher that's teaching all these things. And, and Paul has set this up at all kinds of different churches. But he leaves Titus in an area and he says, hey, listen, I've done what's happened at Wellspring, but it's not finished yet. In fact, it's lacking and incomplete. And here's what he says in 1 Titus 1.5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put re what remained into order. Some of y'all's Bibles say what was lacking or unfinished. But you're going you're gonna to finish out, you're going to fill in the gaps. What's lacking is going to be done. And what are you gonna, how are you going to do that? You're going to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Literally right now, Wellspring Church, us, we are lacking and incomplete because we don't have elders in place yet. Like in-house elders. I, I'm officially an elder. We've got two elders from the sending church to help us be an entity. So we've had elders making decisions. But we're talking about in-house, our people, lay and staff elders. We're lacking until we have this. And I've been praying before we ever opened the doors and invited you guys to start coming to church here that God would give us men to lead this church that would be uh, godly examples, that would meet the qualifications, and that would shepherd and pastor us well. And so we see that Paul says, hey, listen, the church is lacking until it has this. So put these men in place. We need some qualified elders. Now what you may be starting to see too, and I want you to pay attention to this, is, is that the Bible teaches us that it should be a plurality of elders. That means plural. <laughs> like there's more than one. 
And I don't know what happened in church. Some of you guys may come from church backgrounds, and they were doing this. Like they had several men in this office leading the church. But some of you may be like me, and it's been like, no, the, like there's one pastor. Like there's one guy leading the church, and he's like Moses up on the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus whispers in his ears, and he tells all the rest of us what to do. I don't know when we kind of took a departure and started doing that, but Scripture is very, very clear that the office of elder is our pastor, and there are more than one. Listen, church, you don't want me to be the only pastor in charge. I will fail you. I have, I have some great giftings and strengths, but I have a lot of weaknesses. And if I'm making all the decisions by myself up in the castle and telling us where we're going and what we're doing, eventually I'm going to miss the mark. And so God says, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put together a group of men to lead that, that help kind of complement each other's giftings and strengths. This is good. It's right. It holds me accountable. It holds us accountable. And so as we begin to go, God, what do you want us to do? It's, it's all of us making decisions together. Here's what I love is in August when we install some elders, I'm going to sit in a room and I'm going to go, you know what? I think it would be really cool if our church did this. And there's going to be other men around that table and they may go, you know what? We're not feeling like God's leading us to do that as a church. And they can vote me off the island and that is good and right. It will protect us. It will make us strong. It will make us healthier. There's a plurality of elders. And you may go, man, where is this in Scripture? I'm not going to look at every verse, but you can write these down and read them later. In Acts, in 1 Timothy, in Philippians, and in Titus, this idea of plurality of elders is everywhere. We see it in the church of Judea, the surrounding area churches, the church of Jerusalem, the, the church of Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, Philippi, and Crete all had multiple elders that were put in place ruling the church. If you go read in 1 Peter, it begins to talk about the churches in Asia Minor, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia all had multiple elders serving in those places. So I want you to go and look and see. Look, this, this idea is not man-made. It's Everywhere, God has installed elders in the church to lead his church and to shepherd and to care for his church. It's all over the New Testament. So the question becomes, this is the part we kind of started with, right? What do they do? This is how it affects you. This is how it affects me. This is the part where you're going, okay, it's going to have a direct impact on me as a member of the church. What do they do? And here's the reality. Pastors, shepherds, at this church, you got all these different words. We're going to call them pastors or elders. In fact, if you go to our, our, our web page and you start looking at the staff page, if one of our staff members has the word pastor at the end of it, like I'm the lead pastor, Brent's our discipleship pastor, then you know those are men that are elders in your church or are in the process of becoming elders. For instance, Austin came to me as we planted this church. I was like, are you interested in being an elder? I think you'd be an incredible elder. He's like, man, I'm just not ready for that yet. So at the end of his title is the word minister. So you'll see there's a, man, is he still teaching? Does he still have authority? Is he still shepherding and taking care of people? Absolutely. I wasn't on the student trip. He was. Praise God. I'm just praying. I'm, I would have loved to hang out with you guys. That would have been awesome. But he's still doing these things, but it's under the authority then of the elders, of the pastors. So we're going to use the word elder and pastor when we talk about this. What do they do? Much like real shepherds, they, they kind of do the same thing. The first is this. They feed the sheep. There's a biblical call by the elders of your church to protect the doctrine. So, so we're the ones that go, okay, this is our authority. This is the word of God. And, and we're going to make sure that in this church no one gets outside of this. We're going to protect it. We're going to guard it. We're going to teach it. We're going to set the precedence. Does that mean other people are going to teach? 
Absolutely, all over the place. We'll have guest people come speak on the stage, but it's all under the authoritative banner of the elder body saying, hey, this is what our church believes, and this is what we are going to teach and preach. They lead in teaching and discipleship. Next is they serve and care for the sheep. This is a good thing. They serve for the spiritual needs that you have. They also serve for, like, the physical needs you have. There may be moments where you get in a bind financially and you're going, man, what are we going to do? And the elders should be the people that come and go, how can we serve you and help you? You may have someone in your, in your body or in your house that, that gets terribly sick. And the Bible says, hey, call the elders to come pray for healing over you. Like there's, there's this call to care for your physical and your spiritual needs, which is a beautiful thing. That's something all of us want. There's the call to protect the sheep. Listen, there's a reality too. The enemy hates you. He hates me and he hates this church. And if he can do anything to wreck shop, he will. And so there's this idea that the shepherd would stay up in the nighttime watching over the sheep so that the wolves wouldn't come in and destroy them. The sheep could sleep while the shepherd stayed up. And there's this idea for your elders, for your pastors, that we're going, man, we're going to guard the gates. We're going to stay up late. We're going to take the hits and we're going to get into the fights to, to protect you so that you can sleep and rest and enjoy walking with the Lord. We are the protectors of the church. So that means we're going to protect you against false teaching, against disunity, against our sin, against your sin. Like we're going to be the ones that, that do church discipline and you go, whoa, whoa, man. Look, the Bible says Jesus disciplines every son and daughter that he loves. There's this reality to going, hey, it's good and right, and you should invite in people to go, you know what, I want you to hold me accountable, because if you see me something, doing something that's about to destroy my life, I would love for you to say, hey, you probably shouldn't do that, because you're about to destroy your life. Like, that's what discipline is. That is what accountability is. It's not judgmental. It's not lording over. It's going, hey, we're walking towards Jesus together. Let's go this way, because this is what the Bible says. Let's quit going this way. They're here to protect you. Protect our church. Lastly, the shepherds, the pastors, they lead the sheep. They're going to be the ones that set vision and direction and make decisions and keep us on mission and talk about how to utilize our resources. Now, even with the elder body, look, we're already practicing this. We're going to make advisory teams of men and women that know a whole lot more about us when it comes time to make decisions about things we don't know about. Right, we did that when we got the land. I was like, I need some really smart people in this room. And so we gathered up men and women that knew finances and uh, realty and, and building things. And we go, hey, look at this land down the road. Let's really pick this apart and decide, is this where God's leading us? And they advised and they 100% said, absolutely. And the elders go, praise God. All right, that's, how, that's what we were feeling. We want to know what you think and we're going to move forward. We do that with our finances right now. Like to set the budget. It wasn't me in a room going, okay. Let's look at what's coming in. This looks good. No, we're going, we need some CPAs <laughs> looking at our resources and going, hey, does this work for our budget for the future? And they go, this is what we advise to the elders, and the elders make that decision. It's a beautiful thing. So in Scripture, I'm going to have these on, on the wall for you. I want you to, to read these. 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders who rule well be considered of worthy of double honor, especially, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I love this one by the way. <laughs> but there, there's a caveat, right? It does say let the elders who rule what? Well. There, there's a side of the church going, 
man, are they following the Lord? Are they leading us well? Are they shepherding us? Are they caring for us? Are they feeding us? Are they guiding us? Are they protecting us? It says, if so, then they're worthy of double honor. James 5, 14 through 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Here, there, there, there's something. Every single one of us, if you're a Christian, has the spirit of God in you. I believe that you can pray for the healing of people and God will answer those prayers sometimes. But he's also said, hey, in the office of elder, I'm, I'm just going to bring an extra, I don't even know what it is, the this, this spiritual covering for the elders to gather and pray over their people. And when you do and you anoint sick people with oil, like, I'm going to move. It may not mean that they're healed perfectly, but he's going, do that. Like, if you're sick, call together and pray with your elders. And we want to be people that pray with our people. Acts 20, 28, listen to what Paul says. He's about to roll out of this church, and here's what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after you. Paul's going, look, man, there's going to be wolves that are literally sitting in the room right now that if they get the opportunity, they're going to create division. They're going to lead us astray scripturally. And the elders are the ones to keep guard and to watch, even for those that may be in the room right now. For sure for those that may come in the door one day. And so they're to protect and to watch over us. In Hebrews 13, it tells us, what one, what, what we should do as elders, but also as, as the people, how we respond. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Look, church, there is a reality that is the pastor of this church and, and those that move into the elder body, I will stand before God and I will give an account for every word I've said on the stage, how I shepherded you, led you, cared for you, prayed with you. Like I'm going to have to answer for all of it. And there's this other side that if you decide, you know what, I want to be an elder, like you're joining in the fun. <laughs> That's why the Bible says let few of you become teachers because you will incur stricter judgment. You guys, if you're not an elder, aren't going to have this part of the judgment. I will. I don't know why I signed up for it, but I'm here. <laughs> and and here's, here's the deal. I think this also teaches then very clearly covenant membership. That's why we have covenant membership. Look, I'm an elder of this church. And this says that if you're a Christian of a local church, you're to obey your elders. So here's my question. If we have no membership, that we're just all here, we're part of the big church, then does that mean that I'm also an elder of the people at Journey? Am I giving an account for them? Can Landon come over here and say, hey, I'm actually in authority over you here at Wellspring? I don't think so. And so that's why we have covenant membership because it's this beautiful coming together of you as the people going, God has called us to Wellspring and we trust and, and joyously submit to the authority and the elders of Wellspring. And the elders of Wellspring are going, and we joyfully submit to you and we will serve you and we will do these things and we will protect the church. Here's the reality. If you're not a member, I'm so thankful you're here. 
Like, keep coming and attending and checking out our church. But can I tell you, I'm not standing before the Lord and giving the same account for you that are in this room that are not covenant members as I will for our covenant members. They have come into covenant community and said, we submit to this local authority. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's why I would say, man, if you're here and you're not a member, would you pray about that? Why would you not want to come in and submit to the things that God has said, this is the way the church is to work? And if you haven't figured that out yet, that's, man, take your time. It's important. But I'm saying there's something beautiful there in covenant membership. And so this is what elders do. Let's move on. Then I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 3, and we're going to, see your notes. We're going to finish up with 1 Timothy 3, and these are the qualifications for an elder. Who can be an elder, and, and how do we know? Like, I'm about to present, I don't need it. It's, it's old. It's gone. It's done. The Lord didn't even want you to know that. No, I'm just playing. I already taught it. Uh, here's what you need to know. There's going to be a moment in about three weeks where I'm going to pull some men and, and their families on this stage and say, these guys want to be elders of your church. You're about to covenant with them as a people that you're submitting to their authority, and you probably want to know, well, what does the Bible say makes them qualified to do this? You're going to vote whether or not you want these men to do this for you, and I want you to be informed about what you're doing. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to move quickly through these qualifications. It's going to show us who can be an elder. And so in 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be, here it is, above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. I don't know if marbles disqualify me. Y'all can think about it. (laughs) With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he will become puffed up with conceit and will fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is a big one too. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. I believe that's non-believers. People in our community, they must be well thought of by those in our community so that they may not fall into the disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So I quickly want to look at these. The first is this. You may be sitting in this room going, I I didn't even know anything about elders. Hey, this is a rotation thing. There's going to be elders and elders for years and years. Hopefully after I'm dead and gone, there's going to be elders of Wellspring Church. And so one of the things that says, hey, if you feel something in you going, man, maybe God might have something for me in that. He's going, that's an honorable thing. It's a noble task to continue to pray and seek after that. The next is this. For me, it is I believe scripture teaches very clearly that the office of elders for a man, and that is black and white. It's not gray. It's not, hey, we could, we could twist some things. It's, it's very clear. I want to just look at a couple of things for this. One, let's look at the actual qualifications. He desires a noble task. The husband of one wife, he must manage his household. He cares for the church. He must be a recent convert. He must be well thought of by outsiders. What we practice here at Wellspring is a complementarian view of, of gender roles. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I want to explain it to you because it's important. And the world is actually trying to crush this. And I think it's anti what the Lord desires for you and I. Look, what a complementarian role means is this. You and I, male and female, created in the image of God. We have the same worth. 
the same value, the same ability to minister and make change and to love Jesus. And, and he's called us all with incredible giftings and all are needed. Men are needed. Women are needed. Like we're equal in that. There's no distinction in that. But he has given us specific roles to fulfill. Right, The church is always talked about as the family of God, that we are brothers and sisters. God is the head. Christ is the head. We're like a family. And when you look at your own family, some of you in here are dads. You don't get to decide, I want to be the mom. The world will tell you you can, but it's impossible. You're the dad. Some of you are mothers, and you don't get to decide one day, I want to be the dad, because you're the mom. And both are massively important, equally important, desperately needed, but you have a specific role to fulfill. Some of you are husbands. You have been given a specific role to fulfill within your family. Some of you are wives, and you've been given a specific role to fulfill, and they're equal in value and need. But we don't want to look at the world that goes, you get to choose what you do on this. Maybe you want to be a, I saw a post on Facebook just yesterday. Someone I know going, man, it's just so good to be a mom, and we've got a beautiful wife, and, and it's a lady. And I'm going, we don't get to decide that. We've got roles. God's given us those, and they're beautiful, and they're right. And when we walk in them, it's amazing, and it glorifies God, and it gives us abundant life. Look, the Bible says that the husband is to love his wife like Christ loved and served the church. That means unto death. And then it says, when your husband is doing that, ladies, and he's not acting like an idiot, and he's not domineering, and he's not being just hateful and tearing you down, but when he's serving you and loving you the way that Christ loves the church, then you can gladly and joyfully submit to him in his leadership, right? Like it becomes a joyful thing when your husband's loving you and leading your family to the Lord. You're going, yes, I want to follow that. And this is the church. This is covenant membership. This is the authority of elders. We're going, man, we all have distinct roles. And whether you're a man or a woman or not, we're going, we're joyously submitting to the authority of the elders because they are under the authority of God, and he is the one that set this up. And so we see in the Bible, 1 Timothy 2.12. If you take this out of context, this becomes a pretty, pretty hardcore verse. And so I want to keep it in context. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. This is what this does not say. Do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. It's not what it says. And it says, over a man. And it's not just talking about anywhere in the world. And it's not talking about what happens in Sunday school class. It's talking about the office of elder. This particular place where it's going, the Lord has set that up for the man to take this role. And for us, with the thousands and hundreds of thousands of other ways to minister and to teach and to care and to lead people towards Jesus and to see people save and disciple people, that's for anybody. That's for everybody. And so men and women both are submitting to this elder body. And so I think sometimes we forget that this, this isn't saying, that men, women are incredible teachers of the word. Women have authority within the church. They're needed desperately. But when it comes to the role of elder, that office, we're saying that's reserved for men. You know, I had someone come to me and they were like, well, look, I, I lead a major organization outside of the church that's global. Like, are you saying I have no authority to teach and to lead men in this organization? I'm going, no, absolutely, that's not what this says. This is for the office of elder in the local church. 
And it's good and right. As good and right as the man in your house is, is the dad and the woman in your house is the, wife, is the mother and they have roles to play. It's good and right. We can talk more about that later. I want to move on to finish up and get to some exciting things as well. So he moves on. He says, hey, they need to be above reproach, and we're just going to roll through the other ones. But here's what above reproach means, church. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. Like these, I have failed at so many of these things. <laughs> okay, above reproach means that we see men walking in integrity, confessing their sin, owning their mistakes, pursuing after uh, a constant behavior, pursuing after these things. That should be all of us as believers, by the way. And so it says the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Your elders should be men that you go, man, I feel welcomed by them. Like, I feel embraced by them. I want to be a part. They want me to be a part. Able to teach. This doesn't mean that every one of the elders we have at Wellspring will come up on stage. Listen, some of them are really, really good teachers. Some of them are probably going to just be okay teachers. And I'm going, hey, let's, that's okay. I can, I can stand and teach, and some of them can teach, but what we're saying is, can they handle the word of God rightly because they are protecting the doctrine of our church? Not a drunkard. We talked about this last week. Look, we're not addicted to substances trying to find something that only the Spirit of God can give us. Not violent, gentle, uh, not arrogant or quick-tempered, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, that he manages his own household well, he's not a recent convert. And lastly, that when our elders step foot outside the door in China Spring, the people in this community go, look, I don't, know, I don't even care about Christianity, but that's a good dude. We, we want men that the community goes, those, those are pretty honest, good dudes. This is important. And it's a beautiful thing that God has set up. And so to end today, very quickly, I want to talk about who are our Wellspring candidates, elder candidates in training are, what they've been through, and what the future will hold. And this will be super quick. So in October of last year, I said, hey, look, if you aspire to the office of elder, I want you to come to this meeting. About 15, 16 men came and sat in, in our living room, and we talked through what it would look like to be an elder. From there, I invited all of them to start an application process that I purposely made excruciatingly hard and long. And so this starts getting into their, their marriage, like deep stuff in their marriage. It gets into how they spend their money. It, it starts getting into past sin and how they've moved past this. It starts, then it starts going, hey, I want you to literally write me a book of theology. I want to know what you believe and why you believe it. And then there was case studies of things that happened in the ministry. And I want to go, what's your philosophy of ministry in these places? I gave them 30 days, and it took every single one of them about 30 days. And in that time, some of those men that went forward go, hey, I'm just, they were good men that loved Jesus, probably qualified elders, that just go, hey, this isn't the time and place for me right now. And that's, that's good and right. That was part of the process. And so we get to the end of this, and in January, I sat in my living room with five men that completed that, and we went, man, the theology checks off. I see your integrity. I see your character. I see all these things. We're going to begin to test you and train you to see if God's really calling you to this. And so that training consisted of meeting twice a month, and we went through, they had to read the entire New Testament. I gave each of them very specific theology books. Some of them were like five to 700 pages long. I said, I want you to learn theology well if you're going to be an elder. And so they were studying this while they were reading the New Testament. We studied a book called Biblical Eldership by Strzok, and it's about 400 pages. We brought in a guest elder once a month that taught us over what we were studying, and we, we kind of rubbed and, and iron sharpened iron to learn what are these things that the Bible calls us to be elders. 
the other nights of the week we would gather and we'd study the Acts 29 theological distinctives. We'd have them teach through the book of James. They preached to us. And we talked about if that was good, bad, here's how to make it better. And then we let them teach to other people too. And we brought their wives in and we wrestled through complementarianism and our reformed theology and all this stuff for the last 10 months. And tomorrow, this week will be our last meeting. And here's what I love, church. Here's what I'm excited about. You have five men that miss family time, that rescheduled work trips, that, that rescheduled vacations, that miss ball games of their kids because they saw this and they go, we love the Lord, we love our church, and this is big and this is weighty, and if we're going to step into this, we want to take it as serious as possible. And they did. I'm so proud of them. I, I love the men that we have in this candidacy right now. Now, here's what I'd say. Before I show you who they are, uh, I want to preface with none of these men have come to me yet and said 100% our family is 100% in. That's going to happen in the next week and a half. So one of the things I'm going to ask you to pray for is discernment for these men. They've been going through this process going, is this the call of God on my life? And if they say yes, then we're going to bring them to you as covenant members. And July 31st, you're going to vote. I affirm these guys as the elders, the pastors of our church. I can gladly and joyfully submit myself in, into their authority, which is a big deal. And so, again, these men may come and say, you know what? That was really fun. Learned a lot. I'm not going to let the church vote on me. I don't know. I hope they all come so you guys can meet them. But I want to tell you who these men are so you can be praying for them specifically over the next year, uh, month or week and a half. And so first, uh, we have Brent and Deborah Bolton. So they're actually on staff. Uh, Brent helped me <laughs> to come and plant the church. And from day one, it was like, hey, you're going to be an elder, right? And he was like, absolutely. But he submitted himself humbly to this entire process, which I love. And if he comes to me in a week and a half and says, I don't want to do this, I'm going to be like, what is happening? But he still went through the process. And this is an important moment to let you guys know. I've told you, look, there's going to be staff elders, those that are paid by the church, that have more time to do these roles. And then there's going to be lay elders, guys that are working nine to fives, raising their family, doing all the same things, plus trying to pastor the church with the same authority that the staff elders have. So we have Brent, who will be coming through. Next, we have Jeremy. Kane, and this is his family, his wife, Jen. Uh, Jeremy and Jen have run our toddler uh, department like nearly since day one. We were overwhelmed with little kids, and we were like, we're going to do this, and we're going to do it excellent, and we're going to make sure our toddlers know Jesus. And so this is Jeremy. Uh, next we have Gabe and Lindsay Lewis. And so uh, Gabe is our head usher. Uh, all the communion, all the connect cards, all the things, getting people to help you get seated, all those things. He is in charge of that, makes the decisions for that. Uh, his wife, Lindsay, is actually the one who decorates for stuff like our covenant membership gatherings, dinner with the pastor. They serve a ton here at the church. Uh, next is Chuck and Janet Hamilton. I told Chuck he gets bonus points just for being over the age of 60 already. Um, but um, Chuck is an amazing man that loves the Lord. He works as uh, a greeter. He also comes and helps tear down and set up and serve wherever needed. And his wife, Janet, is actually on our financial advisory team. She's an incredible CPA and hard worker. Uh, love the Lord greatly. And then we have Thomas and Stacy. Uh, Thomas uh, is the one that makes our videos like before I come and preach. He makes some of our graphics. He serves uh, a lot with our, our media. And then uh, you guys know Stacy. She is actually spearheading the Isaiah 117 house here in Waco, another incredible family. And so these are our five folks. And in the next week and a half, they're going to decide if they want to 
allow themselves to be voted on by the covenant members of the church, which is a pretty scary thing. And, and so here's what I'd ask of you. This directly affects you. Like the office of elder directly affects you. It's important. Christ died for his church. He died for you. And he said, I want you to run this thing correctly. And so I want you to be praying for these families, these men that are trying to decide, am I really called to do this? And then in July, if you're a covenant member, I want you to prayerfully give thought to, am I good with this man or being one of our elders? And so what I want you to start doing over the next month is I want you to go find these people. Take them to dinner, invite them to your house, grill them with the hardest questions possible. That's what they asked me to ask you. No, just, but I do. I want you to go and I want you to, to get to know them. Like, this is important. And so they're, they're open to going, okay, we'll, we'll allow people into our life because we want to shepherd and care for our church because we love it. And so here's the deal, church. Here's how I want to end today. Man, we are, we are lacking until we have some men in office. And I think God is going to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could think or imagine or ask as we get elders. All that means is we've got more pastors shepherding and caring and protecting us. And that's a good and right thing. And so here's how I want to end today. Uh, as we move into a time of response, I'm going to ask you, one, to, to be praying for these men by name and their families. Uh, two, I want you to pray about, man, is there something for our family that this is something maybe God may call one of us to do one day? And then lastly, I want us to take time to pray specifically for the commitment to the local gathering. Man, God has gifted each of you uniquely, and he's called us in, and he's going, I died for this gathering right here. It's massively important. Like your commitment to it and, and what God's called you to do in the walls of this church, massively important. And so would you pray about what would God have us to do? How do we continue to love and to serve well for the glory of Jesus? Let's pray together. So God, we do. We thank you that you've given us the local church. Uh, I think sometimes because of um, our own brokenness and, man, God, we've been hurt before in churches and... Um, Sometimes we want to keep a little bit of a distance of, before we go all in. And so, God, I just pray that you continue to help us as a people to not just be Sunday attenders, um, not just be people that, that kind of do what's safe, but we allow ourselves to be known and to be known by others, that we use our giftings for your glory. God, that you continue to stir up the health of this church. God, not just for our sake, but for our community's sake and our city's sake and the nation's sake. I thank you for these men that have, have answered this call to want to be trained, to want to, to look more into it. You say that's honorable. And so we pray that you give them discernment uh, as to whether or not to move forward in the coming days. And so, God, during this time, we just want to um, do whatever you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.